first reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaimed to you, which you in turn received, in which also you stand, through which also you are being saved, if you hold firmly to the message that I proclaim to you, unless you have come to believe in vain. For I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me has not been in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have come to believe. Here ends the first reading. The Gospel reading is from Luke, the fifth chapter, verses 1 through 11. Once, while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long, but have caught nothing. Yet, if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish, that they had been taken, and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. Here ends the Gospel reading. Who would you choose if you were Jesus in the world of today? Would you call the CEOs of industry and tech for their business savvy? Would you call the stars of Hollywood or the influencers of social media for their appeal to the masses? 
Would you call the best athletes for their strength and endurance? Would you call the pastors of a megachurch for their ability to get others to follow them? Jesus' disciples aren't like any of these. They're ordinary people, not the movers and shakers, the honor professionals of the world, but blue-collar laborers. None of them has had much in the way of education. None of them has ever been to seminary. Yet these are the ones Jesus invites to join him on a fishing expedition, fishing for the hearts and souls of people. In today's world, there are firms that help employers find what they think are the best people for an open position. So let's pretend and say there's an ancient scroll discovered in Jesus' hometown of Nazareth. They say it was written on papyrus or maybe sheepskin. At the top of the letter, it's hard to read because it's so brittle with age, you can make out the shadows of a letterhead, though. Jordan Management Consultant, it reads as follows. Jesus, son of Joseph, Woodcrafter's Carpenter Shop, Nazareth, State of Galilee, Kingdom of Herod. Dear Sir, we are pleased to have reviewed the resumes of the 12 men you have picked for management positions in your organization. They have taken our battery of psychological tests and our vocational counselors have interviewed each one. It is our staff's professional opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the enterprise you are undertaking. They are not team players. We recommend that you continue your search until you find better qualified candidates. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The brothers James and John place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a skeptical questioning attitude that will tend to undermine morale. Our investors have discovered that the Jerusalem Better Business Bureau has an inch-thick file of ethics complaints against Matthew concerning his former employment as a tax collector. James and Thaddeus definitely have radical leanings and both register a low score on tests of psychological stability. Wishing you every success in your new venture, Jordan Management Consultants. You get the point. Had Jesus set out to found a smoothly functioning global nonprofit, he surely could have picked better people. But Jesus didn't set out to create an organization. He came into the world like his cousin John as a witness to testify to the light. Those who saw divine light reflected in his face followed him. By the power of the Holy Spirit, those unlikely disciples did the most astounding things, amazing even themselves. So in today's world, who are you going to call? I know it's tempting to say Ghostbusters as a response to that question, but let's not take that any further. God has issued some unlikely calls. Scan the pages of a Bible or a book of church history, and you'll find all sorts of people who have been touched by God's Spirit, who hear God calling and respond. 
So let's take a look at today's first reading for more important information about who God calls. Let's think of this part of 1 Corinthians 15 as the credits for Paul's Christian calling. Again, we're not talking about Ghostbusters. The final scene has been played, telling the story of Paul's conversion experience on the road to Damascus. The credits begin to roll. Paul credits begin with these words, For I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day. Then the names begin to scroll. He appeared to Cephas, Peter in other words, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. It is only after this great litany of the faithful that Paul dares to list his own name. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Untimely born is a euphemism, a phrase meant to cover up a grisly reality. The translators chose it to protect our sensibilities. Paul's real language is more earthy than that. The Greek word Paul uses literally means abortion or miscarriage. Last of all, Paul is saying, as to a miscarried fetus, he appeared also to me. Paul, in other words, is not a legitimate son of the gospel. He is not even a illegitimate heir. He is a twisted, broken wreck of a human being. If you grimace at the earthiness of Paul's words, remember that Saul of Tarsus was not just indifferent to Christianity. He persecuted the church. Saul was a religious bounty hunter. He rounded up Christians for execution. It was Paul who held the cloaks of the mob as they stoned Stephen to death. But by the grace of God, Paul writes, I am what I am. Not by his own merits, but by the power of the living Lord who called out to him on the Damascus road, who plucked him out of his hate-filled life and transported him into the light of the gospel. Paul is an unlikely apostle indeed. God still calls people to follow today, of course. So it's helpful to look at what Luke's account tells us, that Jesus' call came to unlikely people who were in the midst of other things and who had no thought of volunteering. And then when Jesus made his wishes known, it was for real work in new fields that furthered God's kingdom. It's important to understand all of this because it helps us to recognize what is is going on when Jesus calls us. The story reminds us that God is not impressed by our natural abilities, appearance, talents, or what we've made of ourselves. God's call does not await the completion of our education or the completion of our work time and the advent of retirement or the size of the nest egg we put away. God's call comes on God's time schedule, not ours. What God asks us to do may or may not be in line with some skill we've already 
we're already comfortable with. It may be an extension of some talent we've already developed, but it may just as likely be a use of a talent we didn't know we had, but God knows. The story from Luke's Gospel also reminds us that God may use significant force to overcome our reluctance. Apparently, the only reason for the huge catch of fish was to open the hearts of these men who had not previously considered themselves disciple material. And it worked, too, because as soon as Peter saw the size of the catch, it knocked him off his feet. He prostrated himself before Jesus and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. God doesn't call us because we are the best by human measures. The most promising captain in the fleet, or even the guy with the most fish to his credit. God doesn't necessarily call us because of some talent we have buffed to perfection. God may call CEOs and the rest, but not because what they want is to gain fame and fortune. God knows what's in our hearts. God calls us to accomplish God's goals. God calls us to change the world. God calls us just as we are to love the world because God loves us, not for ourselves. So who is God going to call? God calls you. Amen.